Welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through M&A projects where we've been involved in the course of our careers, unpacking the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose in doing this is to leave you, the listener, with valuable lessons and experiences that you can use in your own M&A projects. So without wasting any more time, let's get this podcast underway. Hi, Toby. Hi, Rob. Hi. How are you going there? We are good. Another week or two weeks gone past and another podcast. Now, there's a few things. Last week, we talked about how I got started in my career and stuff yeah, like that. And yeah. We're going to cover that with yours yeah. this week. But just so everybody is jealous, yeah. uh, you've, you've got about two or three days left on your current assignment, and then you're, right. um, you're heading off overseas, I hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Malta for a week, and then Spain for three weeks, and then wow. on the way back, we'll be going in Dubai for a few days. So, yeah, so we're going for a good trip. First trip overseas in three years because of the whole pandemic. So, yep. it'd be a good to see what Malta looks like. I haven't been there for years and years. I think it must be about 30 years. So, I suppose it's changed drastically drastically since that time. So it'd be interesting to compare notes. And similarly, it's been a long time to Spain, but uh, looking forward to visiting Barcelona and uh, Valencia and and also going to see some friends of my wife who've actually retired in Spain and to see what retired life has actually looked like. What it actually looks like there. I'd be, I'd be interested. Yeah, I would be interested as well. It's, it's often a thing a lot of Brits do. Yep. And somebody that I know retired tied to Spain to an area where there was about 300 other Brits in the same region. Yeah. And so it was almost like a mini UK and everybody went everybody <laughs> went to the same places every week. I somehow I feel this is guys I'm going to have the same experience a mini yeah. UK. I think it's going to be fish and chips and Watney's keg and uh, That's well, right. Yeah. Well, I should, yeah. I'll keep it up in mind and see see how it is. Be interested to see how you get on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, you hinted last week when we yep. were recording the, the other podcast that your career had a different track to mine in Very terms so. of M&A. Yeah. And I suspect, you, I'll let you fill in the gaps, but I suspect that your career has probably been more consistently focused on an M&A, whereas mine's sort of been parallel. So I've had a career in the tech industry where yeah. I had a day job and yeah. M&A was parallel to it. That's right. So what was the catalyst or the starting point for you with M&A? Okay. Well, yeah, look, a bit like yourself, Rob, I've had a sort of a long um, and illustrious uh, career. I started off as an engineer, graduating in aeronautics from Imperial College, London, and then almost straight away went into work for a consulting firm that still exists called Logica. That was a good experience. And then from there, went to work in the United States for a while and then moved over to... Now, I worked in financial services in Australia for a good, ooh, must be about 10 years, I'd say. 10 years working in financial services. And then I did an MBA. I decided that I was I was hitting my late 30s then. And I thought, well, let me go ahead and do an MBA. Because I like to broaden my horizons and think as a, like a business person as well as an engineer. Because I think it's good to have that engineering mindset. But also bring in that kind of business focus as well. So I did an MBA. And that was in the late 90s now that I did that. And I thought, well, okay, so what do I do next? And it was almost by opportunity, really, that I was made redundant because the company I was working with was Bankers Trust, and they were taken over by Westpac. 
And right. so there was a retrenchment, which was all very good. And then almost immediately from that, I worked on my first M&A deal. So that's going back about 22 years ago, I worked on my first M&A deal. And it was interesting because, A, I got retrenched. It was good. And I started a new company. company, And it was, they were doing an acquisition. Never done an M&A acquisition before. So I was involved in that. And I found it interesting because it tied in nicely with the fact that I had an MBA and it allowed me to utilize that knowledge and skills I acquired when I did the degree in this context, because I found out very rapidly that m and you need to speak the language of every single department. True. And yep. I, the MBA allowed me to do that, whether it's language of sales or marketing or operations or finance or legal. It gave me that ability. So I found it quite interesting. It's, that's yeah. an interesting observation you just made, because... Mm. You're right. People go into a career path, and as you said, financial services, hmm. and that's got a language all of its own. That's right. And people become comfortable with that language, and the, the tribe all, all speaks that language. That's right. But as you say, an MBA sort of broadens the horizon. It gives you a much wider picture it does. I think it allows you to be multilingual in a business yeah. sense. So you can readily work with marketing people or with strategists or with corporate financiers. And my speciality was in corporate finance. So that's that was an added bonus when it comes to M&A. As you said at the beginning, Rob, then I thought, oh, actually, this is quite interesting. Maybe I might just make this my my main form of my, my career, basically. Ah, so you were, um, you were actually motivated at the beginning. Yeah. That this was something you thought you. I thought to do. it was. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting for a few things. Like I just said, it was because it was multilingual. You work in every single department. I, I, I like that idea, as opposed <laughs> to just being in sales or just being in technology or just being yeah. in marketing or just being in legal. That you're able to move across departments. I like that. And the other thing is, and I found quite interesting, is that. Um, I had a background as a project manager when I was working financial services, but it, it really gave my project management skills a really good workout. So I like that too. So it broadened your expertise, that sort of base skill in project management, and apply it in a much wider field. And that I found interesting too. And so interesting that I decided, well, there you go, 22 years ago, I, that's what I should do. And I should just focus on that. And now what, 40... Well, it must be nearly fifty. I know. I don't. I've sort of lost count. Sort of forty, forty-five transactions. Yeah. Now you made you made an interesting point earlier. You talked about it as multilingual. Yeah. And you speak the language of sales, the language of marketing, and so on. Yeah. And and the phrase I often use is multidiscipline. Yeah. So you get exposed to the workings of all of the functions across the business, mm. and mm. and what their key criteria are, and what what makes them tick, and how they operate, and so on and so forth, and. So you become, instead of becoming a sort of a very focused specialist in one yeah. area, yeah. You, you you broaden your, your horizon. It does. It does. And that I find very interesting. And, and in doing so, it makes you very commercial in terms of your approach. And you actually start thinking like a CEO as well when you think about it, because a chief executive officer being in that role is across the entire organization, needs to think yep. strategically, and also think of all the departments that work, typically finance, IT, and that sort of thing. So you do find yourself thinking, acting, and behaving 
not like a CEO, but exactly, but nonetheless understanding the CEO challenges and what the CEO needs to achieve from, from an, from an M&A deal. Yeah. I, I would actually say you do learn to think like a CEO because mm. what I find with M&A, and I don't know if you find the same thing, but you go into an M&A deal and your first mindset as you go in is strategic. Yeah. Right. What's this deal? Why is this deal being made? What's the vision? Yeah. You know, what's the strategy that the board have landed on to, in order to make this acquisition? But the role of an M&A director, whatever you want to call them, and equally the role of a CEO, I would argue sometimes, mm. is, okay, is my strategy sound? And you mm. come to the conclusion, yes, it is, mm. Right? Mm. but it's got these risks, but I understand that. But <clears throat> your next challenge, both as an M&A director and as a CEO, is you've got to operationalize that. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. If you can't, if you can't operationalize that strategy, it's nothing. It's just well. A strategy. I often use a bit of a catchphrase: uh, making the deal real. So my job, often, not always, but often, is actually making a deal real. So you have a deal; it's strategic. It's a transaction's been completed, and somehow this needs to work and put the company on a new uh, growth path. And so your job is to achieve that outcome. And so yep. I find that very interesting to be given that opportunity to work with an organization at a pivotal point in their timeline. So it's a, it's a real key moment where things are changing. It, it's a, a unique event in, in any kind of corporate history. So to be in that situation where you're guiding a company through that change is a quite privileged one and a very job yes. one too. Yeah, I used to call my job industrial tourism because you get taken into companies and they open the kimono and they show you everything about what they're doing and how they're yeah, working. Yeah, yeah. But let me just let me just take you back to that baseline again. So you you've been made redundant in one role. You've been in financial service. You've gone bug mm. of this. I've got you. You've got your MBA. Yeah. You've joined another company that is in the throes of making an acquisition, and you've been brought in for that yeah, yeah. and you've gone through that experience and you sat there and gone i actually like this i think this is where my career could go yeah so where did acquisition number two come from oh let's see acquisition number two i'm trying to think now because they all was that, was that, that was still get, the same company no 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 different company no this is right. when i started the thing about you can't often work with the same company because unless they're a serial acquirer you're not going to get the exposure I think for a lot of organizations, an MA deal might happen maybe once every couple of years, three years, five years, where you're not going to hang so, around doing something else. So I so flipped this, so this, from one so to the other. Right. So this company that you joined after you'd left financial services was sort of a consulting business or? Yeah. No, that was another financial services organization. So I came right. on as a contractor. Ah, uh, got but it. Then, right. Yeah. But then soon after, I, I joined up with a consulting firm that actually specializes oh. in M&A deals. Right. Uh, a bit like yep. PricewaterhouseCoopers or KPMG. And through them, I've enjoyed a number of organizations. And one of the things that I find interesting about this, Rob, and it's, it's an interesting one about having a career in this line of work, is yep. that you get exposed to so many different industries. Yep. I, I probably worked in more industries than anybody would ever 
do. I've worked in pharmaceuticals, I've worked in health, I've worked in advertising, I've worked in transport logistics, financial services, I've worked in healthcare, I've worked in advertising, I've worked in pathology, I've worked in manufacturing, paper mill production, uh, I've worked in uh, agriculture, and the list goes on. And you, it's fascinating because you get exposed to so many different industries, so many different cultures, so many different governance structures. It's a very rich experience that you get far more than than a person would at any one individual organization i'm gonna i'm gonna challenge you on something there i know the answer but it's just for the people that are listening to this podcast a lot of people would turn around and they would say ah yeah but you just you just skirt the surface you don't know anything about the industry you're not an expert in it you you just fly over the top and you throw a few words into every sentence and you're done yeah now i'd I'd argue that's definitely not the case yeah but so let's put you in the position you're in a a new project it's in i don't pharmaceutical industry okay and you're walking in on day one you haven't done a pharmaceutical m&a before so What's the trick? What do you what do you Well, if there's a trick here, Rob, I think it's to do with how you frame the problem you're trying to resolve yeah. and and the solution. And so I'm a big believer in concepts and framing and mental models. So okay. what what I do is I frame the problem because the problem when you frame it that way, M&A deals tend to be the same. So there is a commonality in generally in the the key the key phases the key challenges there is commonality across them. So what I do is I actually frame the problem in a way that people get to understand very quickly and they can see how the solution might come about. So that's that's a key sort of thing I do. And it sounds very strategic, but that, no. that's essentially what I do. I'll, I'll replay what I do, and yeah. I might take a different approach to it. Yeah. But I, I remember, so pharmaceutical industry is one yeah. of the industries that I know well. Yeah. But when I first got presented to a, a pharmaceutical project, mm. I didn't know a great deal. But what I did have in my head was a model of a manufacturing environment, and several of them. Right, And I went into this manufacturing plant, and it was mm. like, ah, hang on a minute, there's a manufacturing plant in the middle of this, but it's highly regulated because everything it does has to go through approvals and stuff like that. It's got a research and development timeline of about 15 years that can consume huge amounts of money, right? And it's about formulas rather than bills and materials. And you sort of fit in the... Oh, and the other thing I remember was, and there's this laboratory over here that seems to have a major part to play in Mm. the overall business and Mm. so i think you're we're talking the same thing you sort of frame it so that you understand this business has got some of the criteria of a manufacturing business plus 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 well yes and to go back to your earlier point you're never going to know the business as well as the people that's that's one thing that's true no. like look i work in pathology at the moment and look i don't know pathology i'll be honest I, I i know the terms i know the challenges and that sort of thing and you you do you do pick up but i'm never going to learn it and, and i don't think it's expected of me because i'm overseeing the work and i I understand how the M&A process works, and I think that's where my value is. And so yeah. it, it's bringing that value in. It's not 
in the business or, or solving business problems. That's what the business people do. I just provide an environment and, and whereby they can go ahead and achieve the, the outcomes they want to achieve. Well, to some extent, but I, I would say there's a, you, what you do is you add a layer, but there's two layers to your bailiwick, if you like. Hmm. What you bring in is, as you say, the M&A process, the governance, the mechanisms that take you from the beginning of a deal to the end of a deal. Yeah. But what you also do is you layer that on top of a understanding of the process of a business. Oh, yes. So the businesses actually essentially follow common themes. Like all organizations have an order to cash process. Yeah. For example. Yeah. And so all all organizations, almost not entirely, but usually have an opportunity to order process. So they have a sales process whereby they convert op- opportunities into orders. All businesses have general ledgers. All businesses have <laughs> tax yeah. and accounting. That's the point I yeah. was making earlier. Yeah. And then you look at a business and you go, ah, but this one's got a thing on this side that yeah. does yeah. a special function. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got a bit more rigor to it because it's got this regulatory body sits over the top of it that yep. sort of monitors yep. its its behavior and you you add those things in and and what i find is that i don't know about you but i that then gets stored in my head as a sort of a model of this is how pharmaceutical industries work and the next time you go into another pharmaceutical industry what you're looking for is just the variations, those okay, little yes. things that this company does differently to that one. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. But you, you do, you layer the two together, hmm. I think is what... That's uh, true. So, so anyway, look, when I think about the work I do, I, I think, I like to think I probably do the most interesting work to be had out there in the corporate world. There's so many things you can do to earn a dollar and to get ahead. But to be exposed to organizations at the times of great upheaval, which is typically when you're doing either selling a business or buying a business, to be there on the ground, working with them, alongside them, in the trenches, doing this sort of work, is often very gratifying. And to be able to play a part in helping them achieve their success is something which is considerable value to them to help them sort of like because as you and i know this is a risky endeavor that that m&a invariably involves risk depending on who you read or what what you've heard it could be no better than 50 50 sort of like the odds of success so if i can tip the balance of success towards from 50 50 to perhaps more 80 90 well then that's that's the value that i like to think i bring and that is really to make sure that the deal really does deliver upon its promises so, that I find a, a, an interesting and challenging aspect to the work I do, and yeah, to both and, of us. And to, and to use Shakespeare as, a, as an example, as he said in Midsummer Night's Dream, that's what floats your boat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Good old um, Shakespeare. He's very good at that sort of thing. Oh, brilliant. I, I've studied <laughs> yeah, yeah. it in depth. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can tell, Rob. No, seriously, though, what it's, what it's bringing to me, and both of us are the same, is that we're not shy of facing up to a challenge. And that's that's a particular attribute of people that go into M&A. Right? You're not shy of a challenge. You're also a person who, you're, when you walk into an M&A project, you're highly visible. You are indeed. You're, you're the one. You are. But you, and it, but, it's it's but a unique position. Yeah, yeah, but you actually don't 
behave that way. You don't do a Donald Trump and go, look at me, I'm the centre of attention. No, not at all. You, you actually do the opposite. And a good M&A manager is someone that can walk into a brand new environment that they've never been in before and put people at ease. Yeah, yeah. So they're yeah. good people managers. They're, they're good psychologists in some way. They're, they're people that are not afraid of a challenge. And if, if, if you were to line 100 people up, yeah. And say, look, here's the job. These are yeah. the attributes that you've got to be able to. Oh, and yeah. by the way, every three months it'll change completely differently. Yeah, I, I would, I would argue, ninety of those hundred people would turn around and say, "Get lost." I yeah. don't want. That's too risky. I don't want to do that. That could, you know. But yeah, no, I agree. You, I, I think you need to be. I think in this sort of function, you need to be comfortable with ambiguity because when you're connecting and disconnecting organizations, it's a time when people are not sure what, what to do next or or what to do. And you're there really to really help communicate and provide direction and steer yeah. them through. Yeah. I've often used a sort of the metaphor as a shepherd guiding people through a sort of a rocky terrain and sort of getting over the hills, the mountains and, and down the path towards the end. But you're you since you've done this this travel this journey a number of times before it'd be like a sherpa you 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 can guide the travelers through and and achieve the the final success in what they want to do yeah and you come out the other end with a sense of achievement mm. and personal joy i can't think of the word i want to use but personal joy in what you've just done and what you've achieved yeah. Yeah. And you look back on it and you go, yeah, that was that was great. Yeah. And then you, yeah. you're more than happy to then turn around and pick up another one, which may be in a completely different industry. Could be, absolutely. Yeah. With a yeah. completely different set of cry to it yeah. and start all over again. And that's an interesting point because what it really means, you can't use a standardized playbook tools or templates no. because what might have worked in one place would be a, dismal failure at another and so there is no formula i'm afraid it's very much i would say a kind of an eclectic use of various things and bits and pieces you might have used in path and you bring them together and make them work in this particular situation i would say there's a formula which is uh, i'll put a big number on it 60 percent of what you've got to do so there is there is a roadmap, if you like, of getting from point A to point Z in, mm. in an M and A. But mm. that other forty percent of it is all of the variables. Mm. And so, even though you've got a roadmap, yep. all of the tools that you might use in that roadmap mm. might be instantly worthless one day after you've walked in because it's a unique set of criteria. Yeah, exactly, because they might situation. have, you're right, Rob, because, I mean, the the challenge might be unique for that organization. Now, it could be there might be cultural issues, in which case culture drives the agenda. It mm -hmm. could be an operational issue, which drives the agenda. It could be an issue to do with technology that might drive the agenda. So it depends, really, what are the major roadblocks or the challenges that you've got. And they're always unique. Yep. And, of course, it also depends on what part of the deal you're in. We almost talk like it's post-deal. But, look, a good half of everything I've done has been pre-deal. 
So yeah. it's yeah. it's not integration as per se, but it's more to do with running the due diligence or completing the deal or facilitating the whole transaction process, providing transaction services. So there's a number of things you get involved in. And that's another great thing, actually, to be involved in a deal from the entire spectrum. So you have sort of like legal people who only get involved in consummating the deal in itself but never get to see the results. Of course, yep. in our role, of course, we not only get to see deals get done, but we also see deals getting completed and integrated at the end. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just made, made a point there that we go across the whole spectrum because yeah. even though my experience hasn't been as deep as yours in terms of the whole of the deal cycle, Mm. I've often got involved at the early due diligence stage. And and part of the value that you bring is listening to the board and sort of, well, as I've said before on sort of podcasts, what the bloody hell did you do this for? What's what's the purpose of this acquisition? What do you see as the... Yeah. What's the vision for the future? Well, we've covered that number of previous podcasts, Rob, haven't we? So <laughs> we have. We have but, discussed this indeed. But again, the joy, if you like, mm. or something that you get satisfaction from, is then being able to go in, look at that business that's been acquired, yeah. and be able to make assumptions through due diligence as to how likely that vision is going to be materialized. Yeah, and yeah, you're bringing yeah. all of your observational skills and expertise together, mm, which comes mm. back to your MBA experience of multilingual talking to all. Yeah, people. yeah, ab- absolutely. Because you, you can see how the jigsaw puzzle is going to come together. That's right. Well, it, I think your job is to orchestrate the work. And I, to use a metaphor, I often see myself as a conductor. And what I'm trying to do is to bring everybody together so that yep. we can make music. And that's that's yep. really what it comes down to. And I've uh, often, I've used that metaphor a few times. I, I use the jigsaw puzzle issue. Okay. But the, the metaphor of the conductor is a brilliant one. Because at the end of the day, you're the person standing up front visible to everybody mm-hmm. right? and through your actions if you can get a hundred people across multiple disciplines i.e woodwind strings percussion mm. etc to all play the same tune at the same time yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right yeah, yeah. the outcome is beautiful it is and that's right it's music and music yeah. occurs and, and i think that's really my job is to make music out of something that seemingly may not go that way. In other words, it may not be so melodic. It's a really good metaphor because you imagine going to a concert, Mm. London Philharmonic, and just one, just one player is out of beat or out of tune with the rest. Yeah. You hear it instantly, don't you? You do, you do. Even if you're not an affectionado of classical music, you can hear... An instrument that's out of line, off beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the same principle in MA. If you don't get all of those instruments, all those departments singing from the same hymn sheet, so to speak, yeah. right, then, then the result is less than beneficial. Yeah. Rob, I mean, in, in summarizing, look, I, I think it was a good decision that I made about 22 years ago, just going mm. down this path, because I didn't find the work previously all that interesting. 
working in project management and financial services. But when I moved to into doing M&A type deals, I definitely it's a lot more commercial. And I enjoy that commercial side of the work. But also being across the entire organization, being at ease, working at all levels from the directors, the chairman, the CEO, all the way down to sort of shop floor workers and having the ability to be able to move freely up and down with all those people is very illuminating because you get to understand more about a company sometimes than perhaps the CEO does, simply because you've got that freedom of access. Yes. And uh, that freedom is is great. You're not wedded to the organization structure, neither are you wedded to the politics. So you you are seen as somebody truly independent, objective, and able to give impartial advice. Yep. No, I I would agree with you 100%. I think that's a brilliant summary of mm. both, where both of our careers have followed the same path, even though mine started in a different way yeah. and was parallel to my normal job. Yours has been a point where you've gone, aha, I like doing this, and you followed that path to do it on a regular basis. At the end of the day, we've both enjoyed that opportunity of freedom to be able to move up and down the organizational chain, to be able to be respected and to be professional at what we do at every level of that chain. That's right. That's right. And achieve an outcome that everybody's happy with. Indeed, indeed. And be approachable because it's so funny. When I think of my Rob, Rob, sometimes people think of me, oh, you're a project manager. And I say, well, I don't think I am a project manager. I sometimes think of myself as a broker between two parties. Yep. Sometimes yep. I'm a mediator because I'm resolving yep. conflict. Sometimes I'm an ambassador because I'm often introducing the other company to the staff because they don't know and they know each other. So I'm often finding myself doing that. Sometimes I'm a leader, and more often it is actually a very much a leadership function where you're leading two organizations down the path so they can operate as one. And so there's multiple functions. Project management does play a big role, but I often think myself as a mediator, a coach, a consultant, an ambassador, a matchmaker. A psychologist. Uh, yeah. A psychologist yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And all of those functions, which just makes it that much more interesting. And the other thing that was I was going to throw in there as well was that you, you talked about this ability to move up and down the, the chain of command, so to speak. Mm. You're, you're not restricted. You talked about the politics of it, but you're also not restricted by organizational barriers and organizational no, mechanisms. No, exactly. No, I'm oblivious to all those. They don't exist, whereas they exist for other people. They don't. Yeah. Unfortunately, in my role, often in organizations, I sit outside the organization structure. Yeah, exactly. And you, yeah. you've actually got more to gain and less to risk by being able to do that, to be able to yeah. travel up and down the, the, the org structure. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, on reflection, Toby, so a great career, 25 years of constant change, mm. new M&A projects every, what, six months or something like that? Maybe. Yes, usually every deal I work on typically takes three, six months, sometimes yep. a year, but it's usually three to six months, and then, yep. and then it's on to the next adventure. Yeah. So looking back before you head off to Malta and Spain – at those 25 years of M&A, on a scale of 1 to 10, 
How enjoyable has it been? Look, I think it's been one hell of a ride. That's all I can say. It's a it's a roller coaster ride of highs and lows. But all I can say, it, it's I think in the corporate world, I think it's a, a thrilling ride because I think there's nothing more exciting, a dynamic than an M and A deal of some side an organisation. They're the, one of the biggest events in in, a, in the lifetime of a corporate, and yeah. to be part of that is always a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, and I'm guessing that no point in those 20-odd years did you seriously stand back and go, oh, bloody hell, what the hell did I get myself into? I don't like this. I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, that's all let, part of the thrill there, Rob. <laughs> let me go and work back in engineering again or something. It, it is. It's part of the thrill, but it's part of the people that we are. And it's not for everybody, but if you are happy to rise to a challenge – and you're happy working across all levels of an organization and bringing people to an outcome which is better than the one they went into, it's a great career path. It is. Yeah, for, for those people that, that aren't afraid to give it a go. Yeah. But that's been fascinating, Toby. It's interesting how both of our careers went in different directions in terms of the way that we came into and took part in M&A. But at the end of the day, there's, there's many, many commonalities in terms of why we've Indeed. enjoyed the career and what we love about it. Indeed. And that's, that's, been, that's been a great conversation. And I, I hope the next two or three days go well as you finalize your project that you're working on at the moment. And I would say that you and I will talk again a little bit more than a week away from now. Because that's you're, right. I've got yeah. my break. We'll be back in October. We'll be back in October. What I would say is travel safe, my friend, and thoroughly enjoy your time in Malta and Spain, and I hope you have a fabulous vacation. Thank you. And we will be back in October with another version of M&A War Stories. And until then, it's my duty to say bye for now. Goodbye.